And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Thursday, April 15th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. A shout out to the good people at Comcast for taking down Eno's <laughs> internet for all of Wednesday afternoon and evening. But hey, they got it back up and uh, we're here. So bonus episode on Thursday just to make up for Wednesday. And then, of course, we have our episode with Britt coming up on Friday. So lots of rates and barrels going into the weekend. On this episode, we will discuss some pitchers who have shown new offerings early on this season and what we make of their new arsenals. We'll talk about some velocity drops and how concerned we should be depending on the magnitude of those drops had a bunch of specific questions about pitchers that came in through twitter so we'll answer questions about ryan yarbrough and danny duffy and joey lucchese and we'll take a look at plate discipline stabilization as it pertains to jake cronenworth uh, as a result of a question that came in as well so lots of questions to answer lots of topics to get to you know let's start with the new Pitches. You've put together a pitch change report, which at least is something that I can look at. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be public at any point, but um, it's interesting because... Tomorrow. Yeah, see, tomorrow, Friday. Everything's all coming together. There's some pretty interesting movers on this list. Some guys that are throwing a new pitch and throwing a new pitch a lot, which to me is a signal of, of confidence in a new offering. If you see a new pitch and it's being thrown 5% of the time in games... That might not hang around. That might not be a weapon all season long. But if you see a pitch that's being thrown 15, 20, 25, 30% of the time, that looks like a much more permanent sort of adjustment. Uh, we should start with Lance McCullers, who has been throwing a lot of sliders. And it's amazing. It's his most used pitch early on this season. Uh, poor result on Wednesday against the Tigers. He mentioned not feeling particularly well. You know, obviously that there's a lot to that. It was after he, among other players, had been vaccinated for COVID. It's just one of those things where he was basically pitching with some discomfort. We don't really know what exactly it was entirely, but nevertheless, he didn't pitch all that well in that outing. And I think McCullers, I think he's pretty interesting for a lot of reasons. I, I think there's always been great stuff overall. There's always been the ability to get swings and misses. If you add a breaking ball that he's going to throw a lot, if he could find a way to command it, that might unlock one more level from him as he tries to put together really a complete, healthy big league season for the first time in his career. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm on Team Pfizer, baby. Got my first jab. I'm um, hoping that uh, I don't have as as bad uh, side effects on the second jab as as some people have gotten from the Moderna one. But um, uh, you know, I'm excited uh, to to uh, see what happens with this pitch with Lance McCullers because it's an inferior pitch 
when it comes to stuff in command, at least by the numbers that we've got so far. Um, it's, uh, let's see, 89 command plus and 60 stuff plus. Uh, it's kind of interesting because his his curveball is so excellent that, uh, and it's like basically, I think like a top five curveball in the game. Uh, by Stuff Plus, and it's because his curveball goes 84 miles an hour. Only one curveball really goes any faster, two if you count Dustin May. Um, and uh, it has more drop than the average curveball. So to throw something that goes like 85 and has like, it already looked like a power slider, you know? And so this new pitch, which goes 87 and has about half the drop, I guess it's just going to be inferior. <laughs> like It's just not as good. Um, and he doesn't command it at a league average rate. However, he's throwing a ton of them. And so if he does get the command up uh, closer to league average, it would be one of his better commanded pitches. And I think that's the, the way forward for him. So I think it's kind of new toy syndrome where he's throwing it maybe too much right now. Um, and at some point he'll, he'll settle down. I think to, for its worth, I think Tyler glass now, same situation. He's throwing a, another breaking ball, um, and uh, the slider by uh, by command plus is 72, and by stuff plus is 80. So he's not commanding this new pitch very well, which is not a big surprise because it's a new pitch, right? Um, and and if you watch a Tyler Glass now start, it's even harder. At least when you watch him a color start, you can tell the slider from the curveball. I don't know how much you've watched them both live, but if you watch a Tyler Glass now start. Try to pick out the sliders. <laughs> it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Because he also, like McCullers, throws like an 83-mile-an-hour wicked drop uh, curveball. And then his slider is like 86 or 87, you know? So it's like, okay, I guess that was harder. So I guess that was a slider. But in terms of movement, it's kind of hard uh, to tell the difference. So both those guys, I think I'm going to say... Adding a new pitch is good. It softens your third time through the order penalty. These are probably good things in the long run, but there's a little bit of shiny new toy syndrome in both situations where I think they're throwing it too much and we're going to maybe settle down into something where um, they use a slider a little less often and becomes more of a weapon for them. Yeah, I was trying to get to the bottom of why McCullers added this pitch given the strength of the curveball that you mentioned and my best hypothesis right now is that if you look at his career splits, he's actually had a reverse platoon split as a right-handed pitcher. He's been better against lefties than he has been against righties during his big league career. And the slider is a pitch that he's going to throw mostly against righties. At least it's been the case so far this season. So maybe it's just a way of, of improving in that particular matchup that he's looking for. And who knows, maybe just the way the, the lineups have fallen his first couple times through the rotation maybe that's also led to that usage being a bit higher than it will be against more balanced lineups going forward. Yeah, and that's not too surprising considering that, uh, well, changeup is his other pitch. That has a reverse platoon split, obviously. Uh, that's a pitch that's better against someone who stands on the opposite side of the plate, uh, in other words. And uh, curveballs often have uh, reverse platoon splits. It has something to do with the shape of the curveball. There's a really great piece out there by Max Marchi where he actually breaks curveballs down into like three or four different pitches. There's the roundhouse curve, the power curve, uh, you know, all these different kind of curveballs. And each of them has a different platoon split. So I forget exactly what the power curve is. I think it was the closest to neutral. So theoretically, it should be a pitch that he can use against both sides. Um, and, and so theoretically, it should be fine. But 
why not use the power curve against everybody, the slider a little bit more against righties, and the changeup a little bit more against lefties? Then you kind of become a three-pitch pitcher to both sides. There are plenty of guys who are like that, um, and, and it becomes it's useful like that. There are definitely guys that just throw a certain amount of pitches to each side. Um, to each each kind of handedness of the batter. So I, I wouldn't say it's a bad thing in, in any case. And I wouldn't say that I'm out on the colors from the early results. Uh, I'm willing to give him that one game. The strikeouts are there. Um, he's always had a trouble with command. So I can think he, he can still have trouble with command and get this walk rate down. And so generally, I, I'm, I'm still bullish on... Is that the right way? Bullish means good, right? Bullish means bullish. you're in. Yeah. Bear, bear means... Yes, I'm bullish... Bullish on McCullers. All right. Let's talk about Eduardo Rodriguez, one of our most discussed pitchers over the lifespan of this podcast. Increasing the usage of a slider that we saw from him just a little bit back in 2019. Also other changes to his pitch mix, though, early on. Uh, throwing more change-ups than anything else. Throwing more cutters than four-seamers. So a lot to unpack here with Erod. Uh, what do you make of the changes? I bolded all the names on this list that I'm going to write about for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so we shouldn't talk about all the guys I'm going to write about for tomorrow. Uh, and I just broke down for my column tomorrow, uh, the pitcher report. Uh, we're, I'm changing it up from the command and stuff report because um, I want to be able to do whatever I want with it, really. So um, uh, Ed, though, uh, I'm still all the way in on because... Um, he has so many pitches and he commands them all. The slider is actually not a new pitch because he used to throw it. Um, it's one that he's bringing back um, and it's his worst pitch. Uh, but as I show tomorrow, he has a really specific use for it uh, that uh, that I think will be good for him. So he's a guy who I would say has three action pitches and four command pitches. And if that's not enough... Uh, I might as well give up on this whole thing. <laughs> well, we should talk about Jeff Hoffman because he escaped Colorado and more accurately was traded by the Rockies to the Reds. Spincinnati. Spincinnati. It's a good nickname. <laughs> a lot of sliders. And I, I just think the general approach with any pitcher leaving Colorado is Let's see what they do that's different now that they're not having to deal with Coors because they may have tried something in the past, even not even using it in games, but tinkered with something that they didn't think was going to work at all, never used it, and then now they can actually consider it because the environment is so different. Uh, Hoffman's holding on to a back-end rotation spot for now. They're putting Jose De Leon in the bullpen with the return of Sonny Gray. Should we be excited about Jeff Hoffman getting this opportunity with the Reds. Yeah, I think so. One caveat I have is that Hoffman's uh, stuff on the pitch is about average, but his command is 72. Um, so it's well below average command on the slider. And maybe that's not surprising. I, I would expect all the new pitches to have poor command numbers, right? It's like, you know, you haven't been throwing this pitch. Um, but, uh, and uh, I found, you know, some evidence that Command is more important than stuff on the slider. So that's a little bit worrisome. However, um, you know, overall, he doesn't have terrible command. Uh, and now he's looking like a four-pitch mix guy because uh, he's still throwing his changeup. And uh, let me 
validate those different things I just said. So Hoffman overall command plus is 90. That's good enough. You know, it's not something, it's not, you know, amazing, but it is something that um, should be able to work. And let me see how the stuff plus is on those other pitches. Four seam fastball, 107. Slider, 99. Hoffman changeup, 96. Curveball, 95. Well, that's actually sort of surprising, huh? His fastball is his best pitch. Which I wouldn't have guessed just looking at the velocity, right? You look at 93 from a righty, think, oh, okay, that's fine, but not necessarily going to be above average. Yeah, but I, I would, just knowing, um, you know, the coaching process, knowing now that he has four pitches, knowing that he's about league average on all of them, it's one of those weird things where you could add up league average on four different pitches, league average stuff, league average command, uh, four different pitches, and it would add up to better than average. You know what I mean? Mm. Because because it's four pitches, right? It's He can mix them. And... There's no real, there's no like, oh my God, that's a terrible pitch or he can't command that pitch at all. So I would expect the walk rate to go up, but I think the projected home run rate is going too far. Um, and uh, I, I think that I would give him something like a 4-2, 4-3 ERA uh, with a, but it basically like a strikeout per inning. That plays. I think I'd prefer to use him away from home um, and, and kind of make him more of a streamer. But if you're in a deep league, I think Hoffman could be useful. Yeah, probably one of those guys people are a little skeptical of given the very bumpy road during his time in Colorado and, and like the career walk rate. I mean, over four per nine, bad home run rate. Got to push reset, though, given that the home park has changed for the better for Hoffman. It's kind of weird that hitters leave and they're better than he expected. Pitchers leave and it's just not, you just don't know. You kind of ex- You kind of expect them to be better than expected, but like, you know, it's a, it's more of a grab bag. But, uh, you know, speaking of skepticism, there's a guy on this list that I'm super skeptical. <laughs> is it Waskari Noah? It is. It is Waskari Noah. So Waskari Noah, you know, I was speaking about action pitches and command pitches. And this this is one of the pieces of, of, of research I haven't yet done, um, which is that I think there's like a sort of a required number to restart. There's a required number of pitches you can pitches you can command. And a, pi- a required number of pitches you can have, you can get for a swing strike, sort of action and command pitches. I think the number is probably two of each. Um, maybe one pitch can count as two, right? Like it can be both an action and a command pitch. Uh, but um, I think you need two of each because let's like if you don't have two of each, what happens in a three zero count or three one count? Yeah, the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. The pitch you can command, right? Um, and uh, and so. In Noah's case, he has only one pitch that's above average on stuff in command. It's a slider. Yeah, it's gonna say it has to be the slider. He's throwing it forty-five percent of the time. His his fastball is going faster, but it's still below average by stuff. And he's throwing the sinker, and the sinker has an eighty-seven command plus and an eighty-one stuff plus. I just don't think either of those numbers is high enough to say, oh yeah, he's gonna use it. And also, a sinker is not that far different from the four seam. I don't know. 87 command plus. That means that in 3-1 count, at some point, he's going to have to go slider or, oh, he's throwing slider half the time. I got to go sinker here. And then he's just going to walk the guy. 
what's interesting to me, at least, is I look at the heat maps of where he's been throwing each of those pitches. He's doing a good job keeping the four-seamer up in the zone, and he's keeping the sinker down. So, I mean, again, depending on sequencing, maybe he's changing eye levels effectively, and that's helping make those pitches work. But it does seem like he's locating pretty well. Sliders down and away on righties, change-ups down at the bottom of the zone. He's not living in parts of the strike zone where he's going to get hurt badly, and that gives me a little bit of encouragement here. It's weird because he's really young. He's not a prospect that's ever really crossed my mind before, in part because they've got guys like Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright and even Ian Anderson Mm -hmm. prior to last season. Those guys were all clearly ahead of Enoa, so he's sort of popped up out of nowhere, and I'm not willing to just throw him out there against anybody, but maybe there's a way for something like this to work, even in just like a spot start sort of role. I, comparing him to like a Jeff Hoffman, I'd rather have Hoffman. Like no no questions asked. I think the the pressure on Hoffman in the form of De Leon is a lot less than Wilson and Wright and some of the other organizational arms the Braves have at their disposal. Also, Hoffman has four pitches. You know, and that's where I was t- kind of trying to talk about like his four pitches are all like sort of 90 to 99. They're all just sort of averagey, but he can choose between them. Right. Whereas I think, you know, is going to be really predictable. Uh, you could probably sit slider on him at this point because it's his best pitch, you know. Um, and the other thing that is interesting about, you know, is they change his arm slot. And so they're hoping that improved his command. And maybe that is improving his command on his fastballs. I looked at his uh, usage of the slider against lefties because that's always the issue with a fastball slider guy that doesn't have another pitch is the slider against lefties. And normally you back foot. Um, And so what I saw in the heat maps for this year versus last year with the slider is he's either back footing the slider or back dooring the slider. So there's no sliders in the middle of the zone. It's all down by the feet or on the outside corner. I just don't know this early if it, if that's sustainable, because if you look at last year, there's a lot of sliders in the middle of the plate against lefties, which is if that starts filling in, there are some this year too. And if that starts filling in, that's, that's where it goes to pieces is lefties hitting homers off him. He's going to get hit if he's in the middle of the zone, because they're going to be looking for certain pitches and certain counts based on the way his arsenal is currently constructed. Um, The other name on this list kind of comes into our conversation for velocity concerns, Steven Strasburg, like we're seeing some changes. Uh, the sinker is what he's throwing more. He's lost some velocity on the four-seamer, got knocked around big time a couple nights ago, and people are concerned. I mean, there was the shot of him rubbing his shoulder between innings, and he was not happy about that getting <laughs> onto the air. But, I mean, if you've watched Steven Strasburg over the years, there's plenty of times where he looks tight and uncomfortable and like he's he's stretching. Like if, if you, you're watching on YouTube, you can see I'm kind of like rolling my shoulders back. You see him do that kind of stuff on the mound all the time. So I don't want to read too much into the, the shot of him rubbing his shoulder, but I do think we can look at the velo being down and the fact that he's throwing a lot of sinkers and say, hey, you know, maybe he's starting to try and adjust to not having that same life that he had on his fastball a few years ago. It used to be 94, 95, 96 back in 2015 with that four-seamer. Now he's down. I mean, last year in the little bit we saw him, 91.8. So far this season, 92.1. Definitely a concern. Do you give him a little more of a pass because he is coming back from surgery, and even though he said he went through a pretty normal sort of offseason, 
it could still take him a little bit more time to get all that velo back. I mean, I wish I hadn't pushed him up in my rankings because I was I was afraid that this sort of thing would happen. The in in you know his good spring training starts did cause me to push him, thinking at the back end of the forty top forty. But I never owned him because even that is kind of a soft ranking. A lot of people were really aggressive on Strasburg, but I, I think there's actually a longer term story here than just what happened between this year and last year, because if you look at the ride on his four seam, it, like four years ago, it was excellent. It was near elite. Uh, you know, plus four inches of ride on the four seam. Um, if you look at last year, it was below average, and this year it's even worse. So, um, you know, something that can happen when you're hurting in the shoulder, if that, if you know, if there is something in that shoulder he's trying to stretch out, is your arm slot starts to drop, and um, or you're afraid that your your four seam that doesn't have the same life in the you know that same ride, uh, you need to go to the two seam to kind of get off barrels. Right. And so you you think you just need that extra movement because you're not getting that movement anymore. Um, and that lines up with his extreme his, his extra stinker usage. Um, he went from using it two percent of the time last year, one percent of the time last year to 23 percent of the time last year. That fits in with the with the forcing ride to give me the story that I don't want any part of Strasburg. And if I could sell him low, I would sell him low. Um, he has a 635 expected slugging on the sinker. It's not a pitch that does well by any of these metrics. Uh, 94 stuff, 74 command. Um, I uh, I think that it it doesn't look good altogether. And a uh, shout out to uh, Justin Mason, uh, my old uh, podcasting pal on uh, Sleeper in the Bus. He did a DFS stack against Strasburg the other day. Um, in that Cardinals game. And before that start, Strasburg had pristine strikeout minus walk ratios. Like he looked really, uh, you know, as much as somebody asked me, would you rather have Bundy or, or Strasburg? And I was, my heart was like, Bundy, Bundy, Bundy. But I was like, well, you know, Strasburg still has really great K minus BB, has a long track record and blah, blah, blah. But I told the person, uh, get more for Strasburg and keep Bundy. <laughs> so <laughs> the whole fight danced around that one. Uh, but, but Nason, Full conviction went in and stacked uh, a bunch of Cardinals against Strasburg, and I think it was like twelve to one or something. So, um, you know, he he made some money that day. Yeah, I hope he made a lot of money that day if uh, he had everything else in the lineup around that stack done correctly. It's a it's a crushing sort of lineup. He said it would have been six figures if he'd uh, put a different starting pitcher in. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> there, there's a little bit of that. Like I I feel that way too, where I'll I'll hit like a. GPP where I win like 40 bucks or something and I'm, you're one player away and you you think you're really close like I've always been, oh one guy if I just made this one decision <laughs> differently and it's it's further away than you think like from a statistical yeah. standpoint to, to hit everything right to take down a tournament yeah. but the the game theory of it stacking against someone like Strasburg that is the right tournament mindset to have if you see uh, a pitcher that people are generally steering away from entirely. You think they're going to go out and get hit. Loading up against them is absolutely the way to get some leverage. Uh, interesting, though, that you brought up Bundy because I think he gives me a little bit of hope for Strasburg to be able to figure it out without premium velocity because Dylan Bundy's out there throwing fastballs at 92, which is up a couple ticks from where he was even in the shortened season. But he showed us last year 
you don't have to have the premium velo to be really effective. And I think with Strasburg, we know there's a curveball that's really good. There's a great changeup. Maybe the changeup is less effective as the fastball diminishes. So maybe that's a, a concern to consider. But I think the secondaries for Strasburg are good enough where as long as it's not an injury, I think there's still a pretty good floor there that he can he can find. Or maybe it's more of a low to mid threes ERA as opposed to uh, three flat, and maybe it's more of a 118, 120 whip than than a 110. But that's still a pretty good pitcher if that's the baseline that he's going to end up at. One wrinkle I want to throw in here, though, is that anybody who... So I, I want to say, like, on fastball velocity, right? Being down a tick is not that big a deal. One tick. Because... We especially because we're comparing, especially if you're doing year or year comparisons, we're comparing August to April. If you do like this guy's down a tick from last year, you're doing August to April. August is when fastball velocities peak. April is when they're at their worst. So you are comparing the worst to the to the best, and the difference between uh, April and August is almost a tick. So if some guy's down like 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9, I would say no big deal. There's one little wrinkle. The ball this year is lighter. And for the first time, and, you know, they, in the press release, they say it's down a one-tenth of a gram. No big deal, guys. No big deal. One-tenth of a gram is the largest possible weight difference they could have made without uh, going to the rules committee. It's the largest possible weight change they could have made. So it actually does affect the ball a lot. For the first time in, well, okay. So 2019 average fastball velocity, 93.5. 2020 average fastball velocity, 93.5 in August. 2021 average fastball velocity, 93.9. This is the biggest jump in a long time. Let me see when the biggest jump since when. That seems pretty big. It's also... Even bigger, considering this is April that we're looking at. In terms of a one-year jump, we haven't had a big this big a one-year jump since 2011. So I think the lighter ball goes faster. And now that I think about it with Dylan Bundy, I wouldn't be surprised if Dylan Bundy didn't change a dang thing. <laughs> because I was I did an overlay and I was like, ooh, Dylan Bundy, check it out. And I was like, he added more ride to his fastball. He added more drop to his curveball. He added a couple. He added a little bit of velocity. Well, guess what? A lighter ball with with more drag does. All of it those gives things. You more drop. It gives you the ride, and it <laughs> goes faster. It might go a little bit slower because of the drag, but uh, generally, uh, maybe Bundy is just just healthy. Maybe that's it. He's just <laughs> feeling good and feeling healthy. But I'm all in on Bundy. Uh, I think I would try to sell Strasburg low. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we're on slightly different pages, but uh, I'm. Still a little bit optimistic as it pertains to Strasburg. Depending on what you can get, though, sure, shop around. Always always listen. Always consider uh, different things that, that could lead you to some extra value. Uh, thanks a lot for that question, Bill. I think what prompted Bill to ask the question was Jake Junis, among others. Glass now was in his email. Um, Junis is going to be in the piece on Friday, right? So yes. we don't have to spoil that one right now. We can... I'm excited about that. But also, you know, generally, he's, it's a great question because... Um, uh, you know, our friend Jason Collette has a new pitch tracker that he does every year and it's so long, 
right? Like it's like 40 pitchers long. And that's because also he like throws people in who are like, I reshaped my cutter, you know? Um, and I'm throwing a splitter instead of a, instead of a circle change or whatever, you know? Um, and so, uh, the list here of, and the cutoffs I said was they could not have thrown it more than 10% in the past and they increased the usage of it by 10% at least by 10 percentage points, right? There's only 20 pitchers like that. Hmm. So there's only by this sort of definition, there's only 20 new pitches in baseball this year. And honestly, what the last two or three, Charlie Morton's cutter, Jose Quintana's changeup, Jordan Montgomery's cutter, they threw those seven, eight, nine percent of the time last year. Yeah. So it's really more like there's 15 new pitches in baseball this year. And then, and then you'll, you'll see the list tomorrow. What's funny on top of that is a lot of these pitches aren't good, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is actually unsurprising because if you had a really good pitch in your back pocket all this time, you would have used it. <laughs> it's almost like developing new pitches is pretty hard. Even though it happens, yeah, like it's, exactly. it's pretty difficult yeah. to do it and to do it well enough where you feel good about throwing it and throwing it a lot. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I tried to highlight the ones, you know, and it can be good for command purposes or for stuff versus back to that action thing. But um, uh, there, there were, you know, five pitches and I'll, it doesn't spoil it to say uh, Judas's cutter uh, is one of the better ones um, and one of the more impactful ones, I think, with a little bit of an asterisk. Well, and he's absolutely the kind of player that because he's been around for a few years and he's just sort of your on the waiver wire, off the waiver wire, stream him, cut him sort of player that it takes a little longer for the league to catch on to changes. The league being a fantasy league, not Major League mm-hmm. Baseball. So you might be surprised. You might pick him up in a deep mix league and hold on to him a bit longer than you'd expect based on what you're hinting at here. So it uh, could be an opportunity for someone that slipped through the wire for a couple of weeks or got picked up, used, got cut, and is now out there for anybody. Absolutely, though. A huge part of my strategy in fantasy leagues is getting people like this um, because especially in deeper leagues, deeper dynasty leagues, best ball leagues, there would be a lot of a tendency in best ball to be like, I'm going to go get uh, Force Whitley or you know somebody who hasn't pitched yet, and I'm going to take a shot at getting the next top prospect. There are so many starting pitchers that take a really long time to figure it out, you know, mm-hmm. and so many starting pitching prospects that bust. I'd much rather take someone who's shown you an established level in the league, and this is something a pitching coach told me. I'd much rather get a pitcher that has shown me that they can be league average or be be a major league pitcher, and then maybe I can make that one tweak to bring them to that next level. Because it's a lot hard if you give me somebody an A ball. There's so many things I got to work on. You know, we got to work on everything to get them there. But if you give me like a Jake Junis and I give him a cutter, bang, could be everything, right? I mean, that's I think Derek Johnson. I think that's I think that Derek Johnson in a nutshell. He's one of the best pitching coaches in baseball. And what you do with Derek Johnson is you say, "Hey, can I get you like Gio Gonzalez and you know, and like <laughs> and Wade Miley and you know, Jeff Hoffman, and like, Jeff Hoffman, just get me some guys, and then like yeah, just you do it, you know." So I I kind of try to do that on my own in in chain in 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 leagues. So deep leagues. 
uh, deep dynasty leagues, people will be pit- taking prospects, and I'll be taking old, uh, interesting pitchers. Um, I had a lot, of, you know, RIP. Hopefully not Johnny Cueto, but I had a fair amount of shares of Johnny Cueto because I thought, you know, good schedule. Um, you know, has been a decent pitcher in the past. I can probably, you know, he'll probably have some weeks where he's in my lineup. You know, um, that's a good best ball situation too. So. Uh, the the trick though is to know when you like thank Jake Dunas for his for his uh, service to your team <laughs> and move on, or if you start to covet him and start to fall in love. And I think there was a there was there a question about Danny Duffy because uh, it's interesting to put him up against um, Junis. I think yeah, Duffy just kind of a general question. This came from Alaric on Twitter. What's up with Danny Duffy? It's early, but he looks rosterable, which I... <laughs> it's just the perfect description of Danny Duffy when he's going well. It's like, oh, yeah, well, we can use him for a little while. We can we can put him into our lineups. It seems like it's working. Yeah, and I think I think I might actually... Uh, I, I was expecting to say he's the guy that you thank for his service and move on. Uh, but there is one uh, huge number that speaks for his viability going forward. 93.6. He has not averaged 93.6 since 2016. Jeez. Yeah, that is a pretty big jump for him. Yeah. Up about a, a mile and a half per hour over his 2019 velo and same for 2020. So, yeah, that's a pretty significant jump. So, I, I'm a, you know, I don't know. Let me see. Uh, he's never been one to, uh, you know, the command is not really his deal. Uh, but, uh, 96 command plus, and then, uh, stuff plus should be up higher because of, uh, well, 99. Well, uh, I'd be careful about when I use him, but I think I would love to have Danny Duffy on my bench. Much more rosterable than we might've thought just a month ago, which gives you an idea of how quickly things can change when we see uh, Velo take a slight tick up for someone that at least has three pitches he can lean on. I think I have him in TGFBI because he had a two-star week this week. At least one of them was at home, maybe both. And so I will have the same decision on my hands on Sunday. Uh, but uh, I will probably find someone else to drop because if you think about it, if you have Danny Duffy, even if you're going to sit him one week, you think the next week he'll be home again, right? So you just might be a guy you kind of in and out, in and out. I think you're definitely looking at the schedule for the week beyond the drop in some cases if you could afford to go a little further, Mercy. right? Yeah, if you get a little bit of buffer, you can consider that because you don't want to have to go back and spend fab to get him back if you don't have to. So keep that in mind as you uh, think about letting pitchers go. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, you know, we had a few other questions that came in. Uh, one was a pretty simple one. What's up with Ryan Yarbrough? This question comes from Johnny Roto on Twitter. Yarbrough missed the layup this week. He had a great matchup against the Rangers, and he got hit. And I I always operate with a little more flexibility, I guess I'll call it, and how I look at a pitcher like Yarbrough where velo and, and top-end stuff isn't really something that you'd consider to be his strength. I think a bad team can hit a guy like Yarbrough on an off day. A bad team can hit any guy on an off day. But I think it's more likely to happen with a guy like Yarbrough. But I think a guy like that can more likely surprise us in a matchup at Yankee Stadium and go six scoreless on a day where we'd all be afraid on paper to actually use him in a matchup like that. But as you look at the underlying numbers, do you see anything alarming with Yarbrough? I mean... (laughs) The, only the stuff that's always alarming. <laughs> uh, uh, because in terms of, uh, I, at least in terms of stuff plus, he's at, at 103. I guess it is alarming to see that his command plus has dropped to 97. Um, that is alarming because I think even though his stuff plus is 103, he is a kind of guy that needs command of all of his pitches. Um, and the one thing I'll say is that uh, stats perform says that you need two to three starts. So it could still be kind of early going for his command and he could still get it going. He is the reason he is here. The reason he's here in the big leagues is his command. So uh, that I have some hope will get better. Uh, the other thing that is alarming is that he's at 86 miles an hour. Uh, but that's the stuff that was always alarming because he was at 87 miles an hour last year. So, <laughs> Um, uh, you know, you kind of have to, uh, stomach that nausea when you, when you, uh, when you roster Yarbrough, um, you know, I actually think that in a lot of leagues, he's droppable. Um, I'm not going to try and sell low in AL labor in my AL only league. I think he'll get it going. Um, but he may get it going in the context of an opener. They may say, hey, we just want to get Yarbrough going again, so we're going to do an opener. That may not mean much. You know, Yarbrough got a lot of wins uh, in the middle, but it may mean fewer innings. Um, We'll see. I don't think that they have the ability to move on from Yarbrough. Probably not in the short term anyway, but if you think about you know Brent Honeywell, who came up, opened, and was optioned back, maybe you can eventually get to the point where Honeywell is going two or three, Yarbrough follows him for four, and... That knocks out six or seven innings. That could be a really effective combination. Could be a way to improve the ratios from Yarbrough. And could be a way to more gradually build up the workload for someone like Honeywell over the course of the season. And it would be a hell of a tandem. I mean, Honey's like 97 with a crazy screwball. And then here comes Yarbrough soft-tossing it at 86. Um, 
Yeah, there's there's definitely things to worry about with Yarbrough. I'm not gonna come. I'm not gonna say there isn't. Uh, there and there, but there's the stuff that's always there to worry about, and then there's command. So I, I think if you were trying to make a decision, even in a deeper league or whatever, I would watch the command in the next start. Here's a would you rather for you? Would you go Yarbrough or Danny Duffy for the rest of the season? This question legitimately makes me wonder if ranking pitchers outside the top fifty is even worthwhile <laughs> oh my god you're right well there's the, the projections uh like yarborough for about a four three one three and duffy for about a four five one three five so projections say yarborough man zips has duffy down for four nine era it's a lot I guess I would say Yarbrough, but I wouldn't be surprised if it went the other way. <laughs> Man, that's a quick drop, though, for Yarbrough. I was pretty confident in him coming into the season. I'm not going to abandon ship quite yet, but I want to keep an eye on his command the next couple times out. I watched some of his first start. I think it was against the Marlins on opening weekend, and he looked like Ryan Yarbrough typically looks when he's good, so I think I came away maybe more encouraged than I should be, and now I'm just plowing right through the the ugly results the the last couple of times out uh, the other pitcher we were asked about this question came from james on twitter can you share your thoughts about joey lucchese who i swear he's like your least favorite pitcher in the league <laughs> i've always i i think two straight years i've put him as the last pitcher in my ranks <laughs> someone's got to be there it's better than not being on the list at all isn't it <laughs> yeah, that's tell, tell him that sometime <laughs> if it ever comes That'll up go over real well <laughs> i had you ranked 148th uh, among starting pitchers but look there were like a thousand people that play baseball and pitch that i didn't put on the list at all whoa look at this his command plus is up to 97 okay that's i mean but you're just saying with yarborough it, it takes about two to three starts at least and that's is that one start for joey joey has pitched in one game and it was only two innings and oh, yeah. I wonder, he's always had such an unusual delivery, too. I just wonder how much better he could be in shorter stints, like two or three innings at a time instead of five. Like I, I, don't, I don't know if he'll ever be a consistent, every fifth day, five-inning pitcher at the big league level. No. Uh, let's see. His curveball has a 71 stuff. His sinker, uh, ooh, Interesting, 115 stuff. Uh, that's it. That's all that uh, he's thrown. His churb and his sinker. I don't believe that stuff number for his sinker either, kind of. Um, I think he, yeah, you know who I, I if, if he had better command, like this 97 command plus is really interesting because if he had that kind of command, it would be better if he was a little bit better. I think you could use him as like a use merit petite. Hmm. Two innings. Keep him away from seeing too many teams too often, right? I like that as as a way to kind of give him a ten year big league career potentially. Like that's not bad if that if that's what you are. Like that's great. You bounced around a few teams, maybe find the playoffs, win a World Series someday. Like there's there's good things that can happen with that. I will say that I got a a pretty funny uh, anecdote from somebody who said that uh, they were uh, trying to. Um, coach players on how to face Joey Lucchese. <laughs> um, and uh, they said, 
um, the hitters kept coming back and being like, what? What is he throwing? Like, what? What was that? It kind of reminds me of, like our discussion about Eliezer Hernandez off 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 record off uh, off pod, <laughs> and they had tried to be like, oh, he does this and does this and does this, and one of the hitters came back and said, I got it, I got it, I got it. I know how to prepare for him. Next time I stand up, I know what I'm going to think of. All he does is throw a crappy sinker and a crappy slider. That's all I got to think. <laughs> And the next time the guy went up, he hit a, he hit a homer. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Don't worry about the release point. Don't worry about the funky this or that. Don't worry about like what he calls it if it's a curve or a change. Don't don't think about any of that. <laughs> Just look at what he throws and hit it." <laughs> so I do think that there's a lot of deception born of that weird herky jerky delivery over the top. I think it was smart for the Mets to take him from the West to the East, you know, and just be like. Hey, you know, a lot of these batters have never seen Joey Lucchese. So let's just use him for a year or two. Uh, nobody's going to hand him like a six-year, you know, deal. So I, I still think this kind of comes back to some of the things we talked about with the Cubs and what they're doing with, you know, low-velocity starters. I know Lucchese doesn't have as deep of an arsenal as some of those, those starters in Chicago do, but our ideas of what good stuff looks like are... You know they're a little narrow sometimes, and I think Eliezer Hernandez, just to bring our off-air yeah. conversation in, he's so unusual that you you need to see it a couple times before you could even have a good game plan for it. And maybe the league solves looks it eventually, but terrible. It looks so terrible on paper, <laughs> but it, so it doesn't bad. look like anything else anyone else is doing. And maybe that yeah. works. Maybe being different is another way to just get hitters out. And I. I, mean, I, I think about that with Brent Suter all the time, just watching as many Brewers games as I do. I, you look at Suter, and it's it's kind of like gets the ball, throws ball, gets ball, throws ball, and it's not fast. It it's not even it doesn't even look that deceptive, but it generally works pretty well unless he misses his spot very badly. Maybe there is something like that to guys like Lucchese as well, where we have this group of pitchers that definitely not good enough to start and go five plus. Not going to be your seventh, eighth, ninth inning lockdown sort of guy, but can come in and just be the bridge between those starters and those lockdown relievers. Like you have your A relievers and your B relievers. Well, maybe this is the kind of guy that can be the B reliever who sometimes keeps you in the game to get to the A relievers, right? Like that could be pretty useful. Yeah, I mean, Petit's made a, a career out of it, and uh, he's been the glue in in Oakland for a while. Um, you know, so. Yeah, I think it, I think it's it is good, but I think that in the context of like a third time through the order or a starter you want to go deep into the games to get wins or uh, a starter that you want to bet on long term in dynasty or in real life when you're trying to build a team, um, I think that I would lean a little bit toward more towards a guy who can get outs without the deception, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like deception is like. Let's say you let's say you have Joey Lucchese, right? And you're in the in the NL East and you use him all year and he's got like a three two ERA and he's been really huge for you. Um and then it comes to the playoffs and you're facing the Braves in the second round or something, right? The Braves have now seen Joey Lucchese four times over the course of the year. Five times, right? I think they're licking their chops. 
Right. And the Dodgers, of course, have seen a lot of him from his time with the Padres. So, yeah, you could run into some trouble with a guy like that when you're facing the top-end lineups, especially if those top-end lineups are comfortable with that unusual delivery, that unusual repertoire, whatever it might be that that worked pretty well moving around the country through the regular season schedule. And there's also now an increased use of VR in the dugout. So as virtual reality gets better and better and can trick our brains into being like, oh yeah, this is a real at-bat I'm having right now, or this is at least very, very close to a real at-bat, I think the more deception will go out of the door. Because you could have a whole at-bat with Joey Lucchese before you step to the plate. You'd be like, oh yeah, I got that release point. I know where it is. Fun from a just a real like professional baseball standpoint. Oh, I can get looks at this guy without actually being in the box against him. That part's cool. Also cool if this becomes public facing somehow where, you know, people sitting in their chairs and this guy who's the 148th best starting pitcher in the game. Like I could put on the headset and just take some horrible hacks trying to figure it out. Right. It it would just be shut me up in a second. Yeah. It'd be so good. Oh, you put him last in your rankings. Did you, Eno Saris against his last ranked pitcher? (laughs) Let's see how good you look. Oh man. I would look terrible. (laughs) Be so fun to have that though, as, uh, as something we could do. So the future could be cool. We heard a little bit of the future before we started recording. Um, Robot voice, you know, not necessarily going to be a hit. <laughs> Maybe something if we ever get on TikTok or something Satan, could, could play up Satan there. Voice, <laughs> yeah, yeah, wasn't wasn't our our best moment, but hey, we got the pot off the ground today, so uh, I'm in a good place. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Directv satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on Directv with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on Directv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Directv has the most MLB games. Visit Directv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, you know, we had a question here from Shane. A lot of pitching talk on this episode, but a hitter question. The question was about Jake Cronenworth specifically. Uh, In the email, Shane writes, Cronenworth clearly has a very advanced skill in identifying pitches he should hit on fan graphs. He's the Minimum plate appearance, qualified leader in contact percentage, outside the zone contact percentage, zone contact percentage, and swinging strike percentage. Looking at his stat cast numbers, he's yet to whiff on a fastball this season, and he's actually seen the most fastballs out of any player at the time of this writing. 
so the question here, and he also points out, the overall exit velocity has gone down since the shortened season, but his exit velocity on fastballs has actually gone up. So he appears to be seeing the zone so well he can lay off secondary pitches and wait to square up fastballs. The question is, what is this actually worth? You, know, you look at some of the other numbers, launch angles haven't been great, but a pretty good max EV last year at 110 miles per hour. Is there any reason to believe he can develop more power to his approach, a la DJ LeMayhew, uh, comparing like 2016 to what he's done with the Yankees? Or is Cronenworth always going to be a guy who's average and OBP first because that's all that matters in real life baseball? So good, good question here from Shane. Uh, what do you make of what we're seeing from Cronenworth in terms of his plate skills? Well, I mean, you have to separate fantasy and real life value, first of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a guy with a 404 OBP and even a projected 340 OBP is going to be super valuable uh, to a team no matter what. But one of the people I thought of, strangely, was Jed Lowry. Because um, I've been thinking a fair amount about him. I've got, uh, hopefully, would would be a big story coming up um, soon. But um, I also uh, have uh, been thinking about him because... He does not have great athleticism. Just in general or at his age? Yeah, right. Either. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't think he started. I mean, he, he didn't start with, a, I mean, he's more athletic than I am. Um, but, um, you know, just in terms of when we talk about hitting, he says, I have to control the zone. I need to be able to do what I want to do with the pitches that are in the zone. And lay off of the pitches that are outside the zone. Because those are the pitcher's pitches. I want to hit hitter's pitches. Um, if you just look at exit velocity and launch angle, you know, they peak inside the zone. So, you know, the better plate discipline you can be, the more, the closer you will get to your best outcomes. So, I, I think it's a lot like command. I'm always going to bring it back to pitching. Uh, it's a lot like command in, in, plate command is a lot like command in pitching. So if you have good command, I think you're going to hit your best outcomes given the stuff you have, right? And if you have good plate discipline, you're going to have the best outcomes you could have given the ability you have to hit the ball hard. That's your stuff in this case. So I do think that like players can maybe hit the ball a little bit harder with uh, some you know, vest work, some uh, swing mechanics work, some approach things, uh, some weightlifting. Yeah, I do think you can start to hit the ball harder, but there probably is a given range of like, I don't think I, I could train the rest of my life and I would not hit a ball 120 miles an hour like Giancarlo Stanton. You know what I mean? Yep. Like I could bulk up. I could, I could just, I could try and almost look like him and I still wouldn't hit the ball 120 miles an hour. So, uh, so I think that it's only good news for Cronenworth. And I think that, that there will be more power coming, uh, just from the fact that he has such great discipline and he's shown us some ability to hit for power in the past. Uh, his max EV isn't amazing. Uh, but at 107, I still, I wouldn't say it's terrible. His barrel rate is zero, but, uh, he's had 48 ball events. I don't know. I I, would, I think I'd even take the over on the projected uh, isolated slugging, which is like 130. Um, I think he can hit 12 more, 15 more homers over the course of this year. Yeah, I do think I maybe underrated Cronenworth a little bit coming into the season. And 
I would agree with that assessment. Like the things he does really well are things that are valued more in real baseball than in, in fantasy baseball. But just as great defense can really like drive playing time, I do think having good plate skills and just taking good at bats can help you find more playing time too. So that sort of gives Cronenworth this playing time floor that might be higher than I expected it to be. Yeah, I think he's their second baseman, right? Yeah, it seems like he's that guy. They want to they want to play him. Yeah, and he's like an ideal top of the order hitter even if he's not going to necessarily uh, hit a bunch of bombs, so. Yeah. So, I I'm I'm here. I'm here for the the Cronenworth being better than I thought, and uh, I do think this means something. Uh by the way, I, while looking at the leaderboards here, I didn't notice I, I knew they had called strikes and whiff percentage, the CSW for pitchers. Fangrass threw that on the plate discipline leaderboard too. And I just started thinking about it from a hitter's perspective, right? If you if you're not taking a lot of called strikes and you're not whiffing, that's a pretty good sort of measure of like how well you control the zone and recognize pitches to hit. So just kind of cool to see that on there. Rymel Tapia. That's true. I hadn't is, noticed that before. Rymel Tapia is number one among qualified hitters, at least 16.7%, lowest called strike wow. and whip percentage in the league. Albies is in there at two. You know, Seager's in there at four. It's not as unqualified of a good thing, though, because, you know, even within the zone, you don't have, you have strengths and weaknesses, right? So uh, why is Tapia so high? Because he doesn't swing ever. I mean, he swings all the time. So if you swing all the time, you don't get the called strikes. And if you have a good hit tool, you don't get the whiffs, right? But it's not like he's in a, the best hitter in baseball. No, oh, yeah. It's just, a, <laughs> it, it's just a stat that I'd, I'd never even thought about applying it to hitters before. So I'm, I'm kind of perplexed seeing it uh, on, on a leaderboard that way. And it's not like just because I, I only bring up that example because, you know, uh, I bring up that, that point because it's hard to know exactly how to use it. I mean, right. Miltapia swings 53% of the time. The average is 45. So he's just really aggressive, but has a good hit tool. And that's why he has the lowest call strike whiff and whiff percentage. I'm not sure what to do with that. Maybe it could be a good hit tool proxy. I'm going to look back and see if it goes back past years and dig into it a little bit. If anything interesting comes from it, it'll be subject to... Uh, For what it's worth, Tapia used to be worse, I mean, going back. I still don't really believe in him as a hitter. I mean, good for him getting the opportunity and playing well enough to keep it. But last season, eight steals in 10 attempts, only one homer in 51 games, which playing half your games in Colorado, it's hard not to hit for more power than that. It uh, doesn't walk a ton. I mean, just classic bench outfielder for me. And they're like, leadoff guy. Let's play him a lot. <laughs> and, and and given their reticence to do that with anybody, <laughs> this is yeah. uh, kind of surprising. Uh, Willens Estudio is number one if you make it go three. But Jeff McNeil, Hanser Alberto, and then number four, Freddie Friggin' Freeman. Not a hit tool on that list. If you paired it with power, then you would start talking. Eddie Rosario is on there. Melky Cabrera. Francisco Lindor is seventh. Albies. I mean, they're not bad hitters. I think it is kind of 
it's kind of an decent, but it is. It's not just hit tool. It's it's the same way that call strikes and whiffs uh, kind of pairs two skills in pitching, right? It kind of pairs command and stuff into one in a way. Um, call strikes and whiff for hitting. It, it it pairs plate discipline with uh, with with hit tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, a nice Frankenstein stat. We'll uh, we'll see what it might mean on the hitting side, though, as we consider it through, you know, consider it longer, I guess. I look guess look at players multiple Tapia? years. Kind of. I mean, it's not, I guess at the very least, not bad to be on a leaderboard with this, right? I mean, there's, I wouldn't say it's like, oh, you're too passive. The worst, let's see, the worst players on this are Hanser Alberto, who, I mean, you know, uh, Eduardo Nunez, D. Gordon, so there has to be the kind of a minimum level level of power, and that's that's going to be the question for Tapia, right? Can he have league average power? Then he's going to be on the better side of this list. But if you flip it and look at the, I got a three year leaderboard going now, going back to 2019, and if yeah, you flip it to go to the too. other end, guys who are bad in this regard. Let's see: John Ryan Murphy, Keon Broxton, Joe Adele. I mean, that was his debut. Bobby Dahlbeck, Chris Davis in Baltimore, Chris Owings, Evan, Evan White. White. Yep. Uh, a lot of guys that have fallen quickly out of playing time opportunities that they they had. I mean, oh, I, I wouldn't. No. I wouldn't look at Adele. Kyle Lewis, <sighs> Tyler O'Neill, Sam Hilliard. Oh no. Yeah. What if it's a better a better warning sign Kesten than Hira. a sign of a player that we'd be like really really into for being good in this metric? It's it's a graveyard almost. Well, on that happy note. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. One last one last pitch. Um, Old Irving Brewery, Chicago. Uh, everyone seems to love it. It might be running out soon. Go get Ephus. Ephus is on sale now at Old Irving Brewery at the Brew Pub in Chicago. Um, I'm going to get my in the mail very soon. And I, will, I think I'll enjoy it. Apparently... Um, even other brewers have come by to try it because they enjoy it. So uh, the whole idea was 5%, but bodied and, uh, and it was some body and, and some, uh, some really uh, pungent uh, tropical aroma. So yay! congrats again on that release. Yeah. I've heard good things from a few people. We know they've had a chance to try it too. And uh, debating just, Taking a quick road trip down there to pick up a few and and just driving back. It's probably about two hours and fifteen minutes each way. So well, let's see. Let's see when I get mine. If I if they overnighted it to me, then maybe I get it to there tomorrow. Maybe I can overnight you one. It'll it'll have crossed the country. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if uh, if a Chicago friend can can hook me up if I can't get down there on my own. But you're right. Get there soon if you'd like to get some because uh, it'll run out pretty fast. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Eno's got a great piece coming up on Friday. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic already, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels will get you in at $3.99 a month to start. On Twitter, he's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. You can always email us, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. That is going to wrap up this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.